0: Many, if not most of us, think about the important utilization of resources and not creating waste in our homes. But when we get to the business and organizational world, we often forget today how to affect business results by doing our greenest. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 194.
1: Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And I'm so glad that you tuned in today because today, a topic that is of one that is of critical importance for all of us, and I would add, responsibility for all of us to tackle in the workplace and in our businesses and organizations, and that is to be more green. And I don't just mean green as far as environmentally, but also to be responsible and not wasteful and to be thinking about the larger environment that we are all a part of. And I am really thrilled to welcome someone back to the show who has been a a real leader in this effort and uh, and actually appeared on the show previously. Uh, Christina Cald-Martens was originally on episode number 96. For those of you who have been longtime listeners, you will remember we had a conversation about how to get buy-in for a new initiative, and we used the example of an initiative that Christina had uh, helped head up at uh, one of the local organizations here on bringing a green initiative into the workplace. Uh, But today, I've asked her to come back to speak about her new book, which is called Bring Your Dog to Work, A Green Person's Best Friend. And she is the recipient of the 2012 Los Angeles County Chairman's Award for Green Leadership, making her one of the greenest people in LA. She's an environmental engineer by training and also sits on eco-nonprofit boards that create and lead sustainability teams and efforts in corporate America while focusing on the bottom line as well. Christina, I'm so glad to welcome you back to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. So appropriate to have it today on Earth Day as well.
0: It is. It is. And we're we're recording this well before the show's airing, but it it is Earth Day when we're recording this and. I was, I was mentioning to you before we started recording, Christina, that I was on CNN.com earlier today. I just happened to be looking at the headline news. And the number one article on CNN today uh, has the subheading, we're at the edge of climate catastrophe. Mm. And I, that, that struck me because we didn't see headlines like that five or 10 years ago. We saw headlines like, be more responsible. Recycle now. The urgency of this problem is really becoming apparent to so many people—not just people like you who have been highly trained in this field, but 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 everyone's really starting to. I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people out there are starting to recognize the importance of this issue and the importance for leaders to do something about it.
1: It's definitely something that uh, comes up in conversations, uh, whether you're at a party. Or if you're out to lunch with a bunch of your coworkers now, uh, and the urgency will vary just usually depends on people's knowledge of you know how articulate can they be about the topic and about how passionate they are about the subject as well, whether it's on one side or the other for it. so yeah, you you hear it a lot in in everyday conversations
0: and one of the things I suppose we should acknowledge at the beginning of this conversation is that there are obviously very different beliefs on the political spectrum as far as climate change and, um, and and global warming and all of those things um, those things aside though I think there's there's absolutely a place for a conversation about how do we not be as wasteful not only as individuals but as organizations and how do we become more efficient I mean everyone wants to be more efficient and prevent waste and you uh, know and, and what really struck me Christina when I was thinking about our conversation today is that, You know, we at our house, for example, we have a couple of different bins for we have a, you know, a landfill bin and then we've got our recycling bin. And for a a period of time, we didn't have them well marked. And so we knew where they were. And other people who would visit our home always had a hard time finding the recycling bin. And I was amazed. In a a, surprised, pleasantly of how every single person who came to our home, if they they couldn't find the recycling bin immediately, they would always ask. Everyone would say, "Where's your recycling bin? Where's your recycling bin? I can't find your recycling bin." And yet, when we get into the workplace, when we go into office buildings, when we go into organizations, it's interesting that for some reason the diligence that a lot of us have at in our homes and in our personal lives of recycling and thinking about sustainability and not being wasteful we don't always bring that to the workplace why is that
1: well you definitely find a lot of people that you know as you are in your family you're very passionate about it at home i mean you have kids that have been uh, going through school and it's it's drilled into them there and they come home and they'll be like mom dad we need a recycling bin where's the one for that or you know how can i help us with the beach cleanup uh, that's coming up this month Uh, so there's a lot of you know a lot of conversation and a lot of things that you want to you teach your family about, you know, being better citizens and, you know, making an impact and, you know, every little thing that you can do uh, all adds up on a bigger picture. Uh, but a lot of people, as soon as they come into work, I uh, think that ownership that you feel when it's your own household and it's your own family and that I can make a difference and I'm empowered to do it, uh, everybody seems to lose that when they come into work. They always think, Well, it's somebody else's. It's the environmental department. Wait, do we have an environmental department? Uh, uh, Somebody's going to get mad at me if I try to do this. I'm overstepping my bounds. Or, you know, if it was important to the company, it would already be in place. So that's a lot of the misconceptions that we have from people uh, originally for it. Uh, A lot of these things are not in place at work already because a lot of people don't feel empowered. And they haven't taken that first step to be like, this is important to me, I'm going to start collecting the bottles and cans close to my office or workstation uh, because I believe in it. And hey, money is money. If you get money back from uh, bottles and cans that you can then use to go buy cookies and ice cream for your kids with profits afterwards, you're saving money one way or the other, preventing some waste for it and, and larger problems. It doesn't really matter if you're talking about it from a political way or not. I don't care if you call it sustainability or peanut butter. Uh, as long as it's making a difference and you can see the benefit for it, maybe the return on investment. Well, it doesn't really matter if you think that it's uh, something that's blessed by some other department. They get to take the empowerment to go and do it themselves.
0: Well, I think this really speaks to the the critical nature of why, for leaders in organizations, that it's really important to put some time and attention here. Because, it, and you point out in the book that there's some basic things that we wouldn't think about doing at home, but in the office, like leaving on computer monitors, leaving on light fixtures. Uh, I love the example you cite in the book of how you took a Post-it note <laughs> and placed it over a, um, a motion sensor that automatically turned on a light that wasn't needed in your office. And I think you calculated how it was going to you know, save the company $42 a year just by putting this little Post-it note over this sensor. And, uh, yeah. It's just, it's it's interesting that sometimes we're not, it's not that we're not willing, we just don't think to do it because we don't, there's not visibility in the organization. And the leaders in a lot of our organizations haven't really put a lot of time and attention there.
1: True. Sure. Uh, a lot of people say, if you're not measuring it, then it doesn't get done. And that happens in all companies, whether large or small, uh, everywhere for it. So a lot of people are like, well, we have to do affordability. We have to do efficiency. We have to do it this way. Uh, And sometimes they don't realize where that can go into other aspects with people's individual choices of what they do, like the post-it note. Uh, Not only did it save money for that light not going on, it also would save me from going insane when I sat at my desk unhealthily for too long and the light would go off. And I'd be flailing my arms in the office trying to get it go back on. And, you know, somebody would pass by. I look like a silly person, you know. So it always has uh, a multiple ways that can help you at work. It's not always just you're being green, but you're saving money and you don't look like a silly person <laughs> when one of your colleagues passes your desk. So it, it usually has a trifold of uh, of aspects when you do one of these things that you can always make a business case for it as well in the office. It's not always just about the planet. It's also about the people and the profit for the company too. Well,
2: and
0: I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because there's the human element of just what's the right thing to do. And there's also the business case for this. And I mean, I think about, you know, again, in our, our home, Christina is five miles from our landfill. And so we go down there to do our hazardous waste recycling. And my son loves to go there with me because he gets to see the, the bulldozers moving everything around, but I'm just horrified <laughs> every time I go there. Cause I look over the hills and hills and hills and hills of trash. And and it is really, I mean, there's just a human reality of seeing that and being like, oh my gosh, we we have to be better at this. And yeah. and yet, when it comes to the business realities of what leaders are going to put their time and attention into, one of the things that I like that you've done in a lot of your roles is you've also looked at the bottom line. So it's not just about the human, the feel-good things that we should all be doing, but the business realities of how being more efficient really does help the bottom line of the organization. And I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about how you've been able to help leaders and organizations to look at that and frame that and to uh, uncover some of the realities there.
1: Okay. Well, one of the examples that I give in my book uh, is I used to have one leader that I would work with, say, if we were working on a PowerPoint at the end of the day, they'd be like, great, okay, can you print off all the changes we just said uh, and give it to me so I can bring it home uh, to work with right. later on? And you would never respond to them like, oh, that's not the green option. Why are you doing that? You always have to choose your communication styles to match what you know matters to them. So sometimes uh, my communication is back to them because, you know, for my end, uh, I'm like, oh, that was like a 47-slide presentation. I really don't want to print that off right now, and you're not going to be able to see a lot of the details we put into it anyway. Uh, sometimes it'll be communications about, you know, security of our information. You might lose the PowerPoint. Uh, you know, maybe about the effective utilization of office resources. You know, why are we printing this in color or doing that on that? Because you're going to bring your laptop home anyway. Uh, you know, or different things like that. You would always try to frame it in the way that makes sense to them, even if you have, you know, a green ulterior motive or, you know, uh, something that you're trying to get out of the situation. It's always about changing your conversation to what they, they find valuable. And a lot of these times with each of these projects that I mentioned in the book, uh, a lot of those calculations came about because we did have to sell it to upper management. You can't just say like, hey, we'd like some money for some recycling bins because it's the right thing to do. You would say, hey, we need some money for recycling bins uh, because we need to drive down this waste hauling cost that we have that is chunking up, you know, like a million dollars a year or something like that. We can save you money here if you can help us out with some bins uh, on the front side, and this is how it's going to pin out. Just like anything else, if you have a business model, it usually speaks to the people who hold the purse strings. Uh, in a lot of the cases. And I got a lot of help at home uh, for these things as I would develop each of these. You couldn't just come up with the you know, kumbaya reason for it. So you'd get the, the return on investment. Luckily my husband's a, a finance guy, <laughs> so he would always help me think through in advance to make sure, like, okay, this is the, the cost savings we'll have, this is what you can do for it that's this color of money. Uh, so it was very helpful to be able to bounce it off of him. And get a lot more of the the business language that I needed to have to be able to speak to the people who actually could control some of the resources that I needed, like people or uh, money to be able to get machines or even space in our office floors uh, for a lot of these initiatives. It helped to be speaking the same language and the same things that they found very important.
0: I love it. And you and I are both students of Dale Carnegie. And Dale Carnegie said, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. So, um, I mean, one of the lessons that just screams out to me here is if you're, if you want to affect change in a business, you need to be using business language and be talking about the numbers and the impact in addition to, not instead of the human and the real, you know, the, 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 the waste and all the other green reasons for doing what it is that you're doing. And, and one of the things that i'm really impressed by and i i've seen you do this in in many different roles is how often those line up <laughs> it's not like you're yeah. trying to <laughs> it's not like you're trying to create some numbers where they aren't it is it is like amazingly um apparent when you do the numbers like how much sense it makes from a business standpoint to take a little bit of time and resources just to put in there yeah
1: yeah it it came in really uh clear to us, especially when we tried to do larger initiatives like getting rid of disposable trays in our cafeteria, they'd be like, what, it's a disposable tray, it's like six cents or something that you would throw away every time an employee would go through the meal line, eat their food and then throw away the tray plus all of the other items that were on it, you know, like plates, cutlery, uh, cups, everything else like that. Uh, But as soon as we said, yeah, that might be six cents, but that's something if they go to the cafeteria every single day, five days, say they're working here. They're here for like 50 weeks during the year and they do that five times a week, times this, times 5,000 people at the site. Look how much money you're just, you're literally throwing away every single day. Uh, And that just astounds them when you start, you show them how it goes in aggregate Then they're like, oh, this isn't, you know, small chump change for us. This is something that we need to look at from our operations side uh, in a little clearer focus.
0: Well, and I, this is one of the reasons I wanted you to come on the show, Christina, because I should uh, maybe this isn't the right way to phrase this, but I, I feel like the dirty little secret of, of like sustainability on around a lot of these things is we put so much attention in our personal lives to it as we should, as we should, mm-hmm. and yet the real opportunity is for most of us not not only the things we're doing in our personal lives, but the real influence we have in our businesses, and particularly the people who are part of this community, a small change in a, in a small to medium or large organization multiplies in so many ways. I mean, at one person's decision really does make an impact in a very sustainable way. And so I think that to the extent that we can have the courage to be willing to ask some of those questions, that is... That's just so helpful for people, for economic reasons, but also for the world.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you're at home and you're doing this, you're setting a positive example for maybe, you know, like a standard family size of like four or five uh, for that. But when you make an effort to, say, go over to the recycling bin and toss that away, you're making an example for the entire people in your suite or your bay. That could be, you know, like 50 people that see you every day. Uh, take that extra paper printout that you had for one reason or another, and you bring it to the recycling bin. They see that every single day, and that starts to change uh, behaviors. And as they do things, it affects more and more people across the organization, as it crosses uh, silos and a lot of these smaller groups that were naturally grouped into at work. So it it can make a much larger impact just because of this year' numbers that you have here at the facility, It also makes it incredibly efficient. The you know, the bang for your buck that you can get for recycling bins in uh, an office space can usually garner a lot more uh, return on materials than what you would get for a small household. Because, of course, all the eco households have already, you know, turned down all the bank statements. They've gotten off the junk mailing lists. But businesses haven't always gotten that. So they have a lot more opportunities uh, for people to make a difference that they have not progressed as far in the business workplace.
0: Well and speaking of making a difference, um, good intentions don't always result in the best actions. And mm-hmm. one of the terms that you have taught you taught me several years ago, which I, I had seen but I didn't really know there was a term for it, is the term greenwashing. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could teach us what greenwashing is and then um and then maybe we can talk about what what do we want to think about as far as how we would avoid it.
1: Okay. Well, some of the easiest way, rather than going to textbook examples of what greenwashing is, is greenwashing usually would be considered that you're telling people, oh, look, our company's green uh, because we do X, Y, and Z uh, without formalizing that program or really setting it up, you know, making sure that it's a sustainable project. You know, our company is green because we recycle paper. Well, do you recycle paper in just one Uh, building for your office, or is it your entire site? Is it your entire company that does it that way? Because as soon as somebody can point to, well, you only do that in one out of 99 buildings, then suddenly you look like you've got egg on your face as a a corporation or, you know, even as a smaller group, because you said, oh, we do this. Uh, But when they can point to numerous examples where you're contradictory to it, then you're, you're trying to get the the rosy glow that you get from being green and you know, sell mod- more materials because you're a sustainable company. Uh, but as soon as you have anybody who can point out uh, an instance where you have not been common about that across the entire field, uh, then it takes away even more than if you had not made the claims in the first place. So a lot of my recommendations are usually for people to start setting them up in-house first and really get employee buy-in with these employee green teams, get things situated, make sure that the program is really working first before you go out and start telling other people about it. Because what if they talk to somebody else at your company and they were like, oh, I heard your company is you know, like number one for recycling paper. And, and they go, Psh, we don't recycle paper in my building. What are they talking about? Mm. Instantly can destroy a lot of your credibility just because you jumped the gun.
0: So it's kind of like the same mindset I'd have in my home when I've got the uh, energy efficient lighting, which we do, but leave the air conditioning on, <laughs> you know, when no yeah. one's home. So, you know, yeah. I, I feel you good cover about your it. Bases, yeah, uh, before
1: you make some of these claims to be able to garner the you know rosy glow from sustainability, you want to make sure it's it's something that's really embedded with aspects of your company or your team first.
0: And, and I think for most people, it does come from a well-meaning place. Like people really are trying to do something differently. And when when you've seen organizations do this and sort of not even be necessarily aware that they're doing it. What are some of the mistakes that they're making with with things that might fall into the category of greenwashing? Is it is it that, that it's only like one tiny piece of the organization that's doing something, or are there other things that people tend to miss?
1: Well, a lot of times they'll make broad sweeping claims and they'll be like, oh, well, we, we recycle paper and we do this and we do energy efficiency and we do this, they want to say that they do a little bit of everything in the sustainability realm, because being green in sustainability is not just about waste saving or about energy saving or you know, conserving water or you know, uh, a lot of the aspects in smart purchasing for it. They want to say, oh, we do all of these things, but if you do all of these things, kind of like a, a jack of all trades, master of none, then usually uh, you'll find a time when it'll come back to haunt you because you don't have any real bench strength in these areas. So it's better to be a little bit deep and really focus on these items and start getting credibility with your team and with your company before you start going outside of it. Uh, It's That way you can really demonstrate like this is something embedded uh, and that's strong within your organization.
0: So even an internal lesson from a leadership standpoint, and this actually applies in a lot of places other than just being more green, is rather than trying to change everything all at once. Um, Pick one thing that you know you can get traction on and focus your energy and time and resources there. And as you get better at that and you get buy in from people, then move on to the next thing, Um, which is a perfect transition for us to think about, you know, what are some of the what are some of the easier things that that most organizations should be thinking about that. Um, are, are I am trying to think of a term other than low hanging fruit because it's such a bad cliche, <laughs> but I can't think of it's one so at the obvious, moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh. But the obvious things that, um, that you know, again, maybe we think about in our homes, but we don't think about in the business. What are when you are going into an organization and just looking at what are some of the first things leaders can be thinking about, or the culture can think of? What are the f- first things that come to mind for you?
1: Okay, well, one of the things that I see a lot from people, and they're always like, "Oh, well, we have to." you know, cut costs, so we're going to, you know, tighten up on office supplies. Employees must be stealing office supplies and bringing them home, so we got to, you know, search people's bags to make sure a bag of binder clips isn't going home with them. Uh, that's not usually the case uh, with a lot of employees. There's not a lot of employees being like, oh, I could totally use that at home. Thank you. Work? That's coming with me. Uh, it's usually just uh, sometimes the, the ideals around office supplies. You know, you've got a stack of these extra rulers. You only need one. You're going to be moving from one uh, cubicle to another one for that. And you're like, oh, I've I've been holding on to these rulers for years. What am I going to do with those? I'm not going to need a, more than this just one, my favorite ruler, as I go over to this next place. So the initial reaction is, you know, just like before anybody moves houses, they tend to purge. They have a yard sale. They throw away a lot of things. They go to a donation trip over to Goodwill uh, to be able to get a lot of their materials out of their house. So they're moving less items. The same thing happens in the office space. You have all those rulers. You end up throwing them away because you don't know what to do with them afterwards. And that's multiplied when you say have 15 people move at the exact same time. Maybe they need a ruler, and they're like, "Oh well, I won't worry about it now and buy it before the move. I'll get it afterwards." Uh, so if you look at some of the office supply purchases, uh, you know it goes down dramatically right before a move, and then it'll spike as soon as people go into their new location. They're like, oh, we're here. Well, the last place had a paper so now I have to buy that because we didn't bring that one with us because, you know, it's not ours, quote unquote. Uh, So it wasn't supposed to come around. So a lot of those things that we found that are super easy in the office environment is just office supply sharing. Uh, Some of these things is just as simple as putting a box out and say, hey, put your surplus office supplies here. And then you also add a note underneath it that, yes, Employees can go shopping in this for items that they need. So those nice. 12 extra rulers you have go into this box. You know, Bob and Susie down the, uh, the hallway that needed rulers can go ahead and grab theirs. You've only got 10 left. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get to the, the new location and they're doing an office supply drive for the local schools. Uh, for that, then you've got these extra 10 rulers that nobody else in the company needs, but that you can also then do as a corporate citizenship donation. To uh, this one school that's doing a drive for school supplies for their kids, then you make an instant connection with your community. You're seen as, you know, good corporate hosts and good members of the community. Uh, you're not wasting money. You're not having that spike of those extra two people ordering rulers when they get to the new location. And usually, you're going to save on other items like waste hauling costs uh, that you would have otherwise had. It usually comes around if, if it's something that people are probably going to throw away, not going to bring with them, then you're going to have to pay with your company to throw it away. Uh, and then you can always, if you think back uh, just a couple of steps before you would do this move, of putting those bins out, letting people put them there if they have surplus, letting people take from it if they have the need for those items, and then donating the remainder of the still-usable materials, that eliminates so many things uh, in your operations cost stream that you didn't think about before, but that also add up uh, a lot of our employees that move in the companies I've been in the last couple of years, you know thousands and thousands of pieces of materials will come in a lot of it goes back to employees before the move is even in place, and then a lot of the schools get windfalls of materials cool, uh, especially if it's something that they You know, we don't use overhead projectors here in the office anymore, but strangely, a lot of the schools in the area still do. They'll use them for one reason or another. And so something that's not technologically great for us anymore still has its place in a lot of communities as well.
0: Well, and I think part of the brilliance, and I've seen you do this in a couple of situations, is that those bins are right there when the move's happening. Like you you make it so visible and the teams you've worked with of getting those bins in, and making it very apparent to people what they're for, that they can share supplies, that they can take stuff, something if they need it, and it's 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 fascinating how just a just clear communication and just an ease of availability of being able to do it really makes a huge difference in how much how much office supplies are saved and logistics of just making that
1: all happen. Yeah, um, definitely, just like any other initiative that you would have at work. It's only going to be successful if you communicate it well. And this means repetitive communication. Do you have the box? Do you have the sign? Maybe if it's a long-running collection for, you know, paper, you maybe have something hanging from the ceiling that indicates where people should go. Because I'm kind of short. I can't see over cubicle walls to be able to guess where the paper recycling bin is. But if it's hanging from the ceiling, I can find it. And it probably won't get sucked up when... They're doing vacuuming with our janitorial staff later on. Right. Uh, a lot of these things, when you're thinking about, can people see it, communicate? Uh, maybe your head of your group sends out an email before the move and says, hey, we have this bin. Uh, you can go over to this location. And maybe a reminder at the very end, reminder, you can take materials as well. It's You, you have to hear something, something like three times at least before you know that you, the person has really gotten it that they've heard it and they understand it and that it's starting to make sense in their lives. So communication becomes very key in this, especially when you don't have a lot of leverage. You can't force people to put their surplus office supplies. They still might put things in the trash. But knowing that these bins are available, I've also seen employees take items that are perfectly usable, you know, massive boxes of, you know, rulers, and take them out of the trash when another employee has put them in there, and they'll move them over to the surplus office supply bin. And that usually makes an impact for the other employees who see it as well. They're like, oh, this is valuable. This is something that we're supporting. So it has several ways to be reinforced with communication and action.
0: Yeah. And enthusiastic cooperation is always better than just getting compliance from people. And I love love the example of someone going in the trash bin and actually pulling out uh, the rulers (laughs) that they saw there. I mean, that's just a great example of how when you get that kind of Enthusiastic cooperation and people wanting to be engaged and to help it makes such a difference. And and that's that's actually um, highlights one of the other things you mentioned in the book, which is that commitments and verbal pledges that people make hold power. And I know you've you've been a champion of this. And organizations that you've worked in is to um, really get people to articulate what it is that they'll do. And I'm wondering if maybe you could share an example of how you've made that work in an organization.
1: Well, uh, as we were finding out, uh, a lot of people go to community fairs or employee events or anything like that. Maybe there's a, a booth there for your green team or your security team and they have little tchotchkes on there. There's a pen or there's a reusable bag to be able to give away. And you're like, oh, free. Like that something goes off in our brain and everybody's like, it's free. It must be great. And then you go and you collect this and you've got these materials and then you're kind of like, oh, well, I got the reusable mug, but I... You know, I forgot to bring it to the uh, to the cafeteria later on. You know, like nobody's going to know who even remembers that I picked up this mug uh, from the Earth Day Fair booth. Uh, so, OK, well, I had great intentions, but it doesn't happen. Uh, we started implementing pledges. And we tried to do them in colorful, fun ways. So that way it could be one of those ways that we communicate back again later on to people. And that could have long staying power, whether it's on a bulletin board or you know, as a display in our cafeterias, that if you make an attractive pledge, you know, a picture of the materials, we're giving away trees and uh, uh, reusable bags one year. So we had an intern who, you know, just happened to be a great drawer and he drew us posters on the back of other used posters that we were going to recycle later on. He drew a bear with a tree in a bag and said, celebrate Earth Day every day. So we had the employees signed with different color markers all over this posters that he had drawn. And since it was visibly uh, something that they would see every time they came into the cafeteria, and they would go up and be like, oh, that's my name. That's where I signed it right there. And it was attractive. It had long-staying power on the walls. So that way, every time they went to the cafeteria, they would see that and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to use my reusable bag. Or I, was, I said I was going to use my... Uh, My reusable mug when I came into the cafeteria to get my morning cup of coffee, uh, it reinforces it to the people as just another communication style and holds them accountable, especially if they have, you know, the large John Hancock or something that's very identifiable. Uh, They always see themselves and it reminds them on a a daily or a weekly basis of something that they said that they were going to do, you know, back on April 22nd for Earth Day.
0: Well, speaking of colorful and fun, the book you've written, uh, you're an environmental engineer, but this is not a book for environmental engineers. Uh, Bring Your Dog to Work, A Green Person's Best Friend, and the, the dog is an acronym for doing our greenest. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I, w- I would dare say the book's even a little sarcastic and fun <laughs> and playful. And uh, tell me about you know who's the book for and what kind of person would benefit from this book?
1: Well, this book, unlike a lot of our sustainability books that we have out there that go into really deep green, really crunchy areas, you know, life cycle, cost analysis, you know, do I do a plastic or a metal mug, you know, those sort of things get too deep for most people. You know, uh, they're an accountant or they're a project manager and, you know, they haven't had formal training in the environmental engineering or science world or anything or, you know, they want to make a difference, but they don't have this background training. So. This book is for people who don't have that background in it. It's a little bit fun. It's lighthearted. It's a short read with each page is is one project that you can do uh, by yourself or with an employee green team. And something that it's it's fun and just gives them lighthearted ideas of this is how you implement it. It's pretty easy. Just go about it this way and this is how you can maybe make the business case if you have to get money for it. But the great thing about most of these projects is they require no budget whatsoever. They just require a couple of people who just really want to make a difference. So it's for the people without the environmental degrees. It's for the people who like it to be, you know, more about uh, the fun uh, in the workplace. Because, you know, if you're not having fun, why do you go to work? Uh, It's another area where a lot of people can make a difference and really enjoy their time more. And this book is trying to make that a priority rather than always being about fear based like CNN. It's the edge of climate catastrophe that strikes fear in your heart and it will motivate people for a while with the fear. But eventually that wears off and they go back to the status quo because you can't operate in a fear environment all the time. But a fun environment you can operate in for a long time
2: mm-hmm. and
1: thrive and make a large number of changes without getting burned out. So this is the fun one. For people who don't have a green or sustainability background.
0: Well, I just uh, I really appreciate what you've done, Christina. Christina is a past client of mine, and I dare say you've taught me more than I've taught you in just um, being effective in the workplace of influencing chains. And you have so many great, so much great track record behind you. And this is um, it, one of the challenges I'd have for everyone listening is to take action on something we've talked about today or and hopefully in addition to is to check out this book by christina i think it uh like she said it is the book for everyone what are some real things you can do from a business standpoint from an environmental standpoint and probably most importantly from a human standpoint so again it's bring your dog to work a green person's best friend christina thanks so much for your time i really appreciate your wisdom and getting us thinking about this important issue for all of us
1: thank you thank you very much for having me today
0: Thank you again to Christina for her wisdom. She's done this a lot and the book really provides a good roadmap for some things you can do. So check that out. If you are thinking that this is something in your organization that not only is just a good thing to do, but also is going to help affect the bottom line. And as we mentioned in the interview, there's a lot of different things you can do that can really affect the bottom line in a pretty quick way with a little bit of time and energy. Of course, I always welcome your questions as well or comments on the episode coachingforleaders.com slash 194 is where to go if you have questions uh, specifically or comments specifically on this episode and next week's Q&A episode is coming up and so if you have comments questions or feedback for the Q&A show coming up next week still have a couple of days to get in questions you can do that at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And the topic that we are tackling for this coming uh, month here is self-confidence. So Bonnie and I will be tackling questions around that. But uh, of course, any questions are welcome. And reminder that the resources page is up as well at coachingforleaders.com slash resources. If you're just generally looking for resources on past guests, books, topics, uh, you name it. If you're looking for it, start there. It'll be a good uh, good guide for you on what's available on the site, but also what services and products and books we use that help support our efforts and being more effective in our leadership. And I also hope while you're online, you'll join the weekly leadership guide. It is delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays. It includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles Videos, books, links, all kinds of things that'll help support your development between the shows. And it also includes a link to the weekly show notes, the weekly show notes each week, if I can talk. And so uh, you'll find that at the bottom of those. Uh, leadership guides. So if you listen while you're on the go, like I do, uh, just check that out. And uh, as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you are going to get access to my 10 leadership books list that will help you get better results from others, and brief summaries on the value of each. And that's an 11-page reader's guide. So download it right now at coachingforleaders.com/slash subscribe, and that'll also ensure that you get those leadership guides each Wednesday going forward. And I'm excited to be able to feature another member spotlight here. And this one is from Linda Eller.
2: Hi, my name's Linda Eller. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. I found Coaching for Leaders because I was looking for Uh, a show or class that would help me in improving my own leadership skills. And I'm a podcast listener, so I started searching on iTunes for a podcast under leadership and found Coaching for Leaders that way. I have been listening now for two years. One thing that I really like about the show is not only do I get great tips, but I have... uh, newsletter subscription. So not only do I hear great ideas week to week, but I get to read the blog from the newsletter that sort of summarizes some of those things. Um, I've shared the podcast with several friends who I thought would benefit from the tips and techniques that are offered. And uh, I'd like to see Uh, more about the joy of leadership um, in a podcast that's upcoming. Thanks. Well,
0: Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to record the spotlight. And thank you for listening for two years and passing along the show to others. I so appreciate it. What a great idea. Boy, I, I don't know why I never thought about that. But what a great thing to do is to talk about the joy of leadership. You know, often we talk about the challenges and the struggles and What are some of the strategies you can use to become a more effective leader? But there are so many joys too. And I don't think I've ever hit on that in the show. I mean, other than just in conversation on other topics. So uh, I will definitely hit on that. I'm not sure when it will be yet, but I've got it on my list. Thank you for the great suggestion. And uh, Linda, thank you so much for all you do to share the wisdom from the show out there on social media and Twitter. I always appreciate seeing your name. And speaking of thank yous, a big thank you this week to EJL32 for the very kind review you left on iTunes. Thank you so much for that. If you'd like to post a review as well, or just rate the show, that just takes a few seconds, actually. Uh, it's a huge help in the growth of the Coaching for Leaders community. And if you use iTunes, go to coachingforleaders.com iTunes. And if you use Stitcher, go to coachingforleaders.com Stitcher. That'll get you to the web pages on both and If you're an iTunes user, you still have to click that button to open up iTunes. Someone asked about that recently. So that's how you get there. Thanks so much in advance for your support. And stay tuned. Next week, Bonnie's back. We're going to be tackling Q&A. Get those questions in now. We've got a few days yet to consider them. Again, coachingforleaders.com feedback is the way to do that. And I hope you have a fabulous week. And I look forward to talking with you next Monday or whatever day you're listening to this. Take care. Bye.